World War I normally always gets overshadowed by its more popular sequel. But the Great War, which I think is a much better name by a mile, really introduced humanity to the horrors it could commit on a grand scale. Trench warfare was some of the most horrific and pointless types of combat you could experience. But it turns out, Christmas cheer can overcome just about anything. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. Episode 7, The Christmas Truce. A young British soldier, just 19 years old, did the best he could to dig through the nearly frozen ground of his part of the trench. His name was Henry William Williamson. Yeah, he knows. 120 pounds soaking wet, Henry was far from a super soldier. He was more of the cultured type, preferring books to soccer balls. He joined the army to appease his father, who himself had served in the London Rifle Brigade. He deemed it too cold to dig in his trench anymore, so he sat down to write a letter to his mother. Maybe if he sent it out today, it could arrive before Christmas. Just then, mortars began raining down on the English lines to the north. Williamson and his fellow riflemen grabbed their weapons and leaned against the wall of the trench, hoping the mortars wouldn't rain down on them. Less than a hundred yards away, in the German trenches, Kurt Zemensch was watching the chaplain speak over the mass grave of his comrades. Kurt had yet to fill in his tall frame. He wasn't handsome, but his hair was blonde enough and his eyes blue enough to make the Fuhrer proud. Kurt was an excellent soccer player, but joined the army when the rest of his town's team did. Here in a muddy trench that smelled of rats and urine, he missed the green grass and open field of a soccer pitch more than anything. He sat on an ammunition box and pulled out some parchment to write a letter to his girlfriend back in Hagen. He heard mortars firing from the trenches to the north. The fighting in the week before Christmas was tiring and pointless. The two trenches exchanged fits of machine gun fire coupled with small volleys of mortars. The weather seemed to sum up their mood. Both sides hadn't seen the sun in several weeks. It was now Christmas Eve. In the British trenches, names were being called out to receive their care packages from loved ones back home. Williamson was called out, and Henry went to get his package. Inside were several notes from his extended family members, and a pair of colorful drawings from his young cousins. In the bottom of the parcel was a book by Edgar Rice Burroughs titled The Gods of Mars. Beneath it was a massive silver-clad chocolate bar. Science fiction and sweets, Henry couldn't think of two better things existing in all the world. The soldiers compared gifts and goodies as the sun began to set behind the cover of the clouds. In the German trenches, the officers addressed a gathering of their troops. Kurt stood against the trench towards the back, fearing the worst. His fear turned to glee when the officers announced a triple liquor rationing for Christmas tomorrow. His comrades cheered. That night, to celebrate, the Germans cut down several pine trees from the nearby forest and put them in their trenches. Kurt and his comrades decorated the Christmas trees by firelight. Henry awoke to distant singing. He rose to see his comrades in arms peeking over the top of the trench. Henry rubbed his eyes, put on his helmet, and peeked over too. The tops of trees could be seen poking over the German trenches. Henry finally realized it was Christmas morning, and realized the singing was the Germans singing Christmas carols. The words were in German, but the tunes were unmistakable to the men in the English trench. 
The old hymns, the first Noel, and joy to the world floated over no man's land. Soon the English troops joined in as well. At first the Englishmen just hummed along with the familiar hymns, but after a while they actually began to sing along with the Germans. Soon all the men in Henry's trench were singing loud enough that the Germans could hear as well. The sides took turn leading each Christmas chorus. In the German trenches, Kurt couldn't see how men that had orders to kill each other could be so similar. So he climbed the ladder up to no man's land. It took his comrades, who were thoroughly enjoying their additional liquor ration, a while to notice. When he got to the top, he waved his helmet in the air and stepped into the charred field between the opposing trenches. He saw an English soldier peek his head up. The Christmas carol ceased immediately, and Kurt could hear several dozen rifles being aimed towards him. The Germans followed suit. Kurt began to regret his decision. But several British soldiers, including Henry Williamson, emerged from their own trench, ushering their fellow soldiers to lay down their arms. More and more soldiers emerged from their trenches and entered no man's land. The two sides timidly approached each other. Kurt and Henry met in the middle and shook hands. Their comrades did the same. No formal agreements were struck, no treaty signed, but everyone knew there would be no fighting today. Soldiers who spoke a little of the other side's language were put to plenty of use. The two sides exchanged liquor, chocolate, cigarettes, souvenirs, and other trinkets. Prisoners were exchanged. An Englishman even brought out a soccer ball and started a pickup game. Kurt's eyes lit up and he ran to join the match. The officers of each side watched like parents at a playground. Soldiers of both sides laughed together as drunken Germans stumbled in the soccer game. A German was showing a Scottish soldier a picture of his girlfriend, who gave him a thumbs up, a universal sign of approval recognized in almost every language. Henry looked around, baffled at how men who just yesterday were firing bullets at each other, but were now swapping stories and getting along just fine. The truce spread down the lines, with thousands of troops meeting in no man's land, defying its very name. At the war's conclusion, this would be the deadliest conflict in all of human history. But in that part of the front, not a single shot was fired that day. As the light faded, each side slowly returned to their respective trenches. Henry quickly went to his journal to write his mother. Christmas night, he wrote, Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches. We exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all Christmas Day and even as I write. Marvelous, isn't it? Back in the German trench, Kurt also wrote a letter home to his girlfriend, citing the truce and the soccer match, writing, An Englishman brought a soccer ball from their trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued. We won three to two. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. When the higher brass from each army heard of the fraternization, they were naturally upset. General Sir Horace Smith Dorian, commander of the British Second Corps, issued orders forbidding friendly communication with the opposing German troops. He stated how hard it was to fight a war with someone you did not hate. The Christmas truce also found an opponent in then-corporal of the Bavarian infantry, Adolf Hitler. 
The higher-ups in each military made sure nothing of the sorts would be likely to happen again. Any fraternization with the enemy resulted in swift punishment. The next week, both sides found themselves in vicious fighting against the men who they had played soccer with just a few days before. During the fighting, Kurt aimed his rifle towards the English trenches and was ordered to fire. He couldn't bring himself to pull the trigger, but next to him his friend's helmet was shot off. So Kurt pushed the thought of playing soccer with the Englishman aside and pulled the trigger. In the English trench, Henry was on a mortar team during the fighting. With every mortar he loaded, he wondered if it would be the one that would end the life of a man that he had met that Christmas day. The Christmas truce is often cited as a beautiful glimpse of humanity. While this is absolutely true, the bigger picture of the war reveals something a bit darker. The Christmas truce took place in 1914, towards the beginning of the war. By the time the war ended, troops were much less likely to interact with the enemy. The commander of the British Second Corps was right. It was much easier to fight an enemy that you hate. After the most brutal battles of the war, combined with new horrors of poison gas, both sides grew bitter towards one another. But in 1914, before the coercion of politicians and the pressure from generals, men from both sides of the war enjoyed a Christmas together. The Christmas truce showed that Christmas could overcome the gloom of dark situations and reveal our shared humanity, if only for a moment. This concludes the first, I guess, season of Historium. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. Episodes will resume again in January, and there is some sweet stuff in the pipeline. Topics range from Alcatraz to the Oracle of Delphi. So until then, you can support the show by rating the show on iTunes or sharing your favorite episode on Facebook. As always, thanks for listening.